Hi there, podcast fans. This is Andrew Bray, son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello, hello there. And, and mom, I, I'm just going to be candid with our audience. Um, we're all just, uh, this is take two because you missed out an amazing, <laughs> amazing intro where we, we biffed it real hard. So <laughs> I messed up. <laughs> I love it that we can just do it over and it's okay. We made mistakes. We tell everyone it's okay. You can always do it over. It would just well, I mean, nice. that, that's, that's the gift of podcasts really is you're hearing earnest, authentic truth when you get a chance to listen to conversations. It's other than the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm your blood relative. One of the reasons that I like this podcast so much is because I think that people tend to learn a lot more about other people through conversations, not mm-hmm. through, not through a third person narrative. Oh, I love that. I've I've been listening to more podcasts myself just to, you know, get some ideas, how to listen more closely, you know, deeply. But still, when you and I talk, <laughs> it's different because we we can't help with that have these big smiles on our faces and <laughs> but it's nice. It's really nice that we can work together like this. Me too. Well, here, why don't we pivot, though? Why don't you tell us a little bit about this upcoming conversation? Well, I'm really lucky. I got to meet Julie Hassan, and we did a Zoom call. And I said, after I learned a lot about her life, I was like, I I just really have to get you on my show. She started telling me about um, a research study she did called the Chalk and Chances Project where she interviewed people about the teacher they remember, the one that made a difference. Oh my gosh. And she wrote a book and she's a, she's <laughs> teaches at Appalachian state university. And she's telling me all the things she's doing. I just, it was like, you know, every time you meet somebody and, and you really listen to them, it's like their stories just blossom. And that's what happened in our conversation. Well, everybody stay tuned for Barbara Bray and Julie Hassan and their blossoming conversation. (laughs) I'm really excited because I just met this unbelievable person and I wanted to talk to her some more. So we talked and we had a a really wonderful discussion. I said, we have to have a podcast. (laughs) So I have Julie Schmidt Hassan. Did I say it right? You did. You did it just right. Oh, it, and I have to say, when we got off our talk, I was just, I was beaming. Were you beaming? <laughs> I was. I thought about that conversation for the last few days and it just makes my heart so happy. Well, I can't wait till we share more and share what we talked about with my audience. I'm going to, let me introduce you first. This is Julie Schmidt Hassan. She's a professor teaching graduate courses in educational leadership, a researcher, a teacher advocate. She researched the ways teachers influence students' lives. Oh, I can't wait till we tell them about that. That is, because that part is what got me. Is with the research you did, Julie. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Barbara. I know I'm not done yet, but I just had to say that. It was so good. <laughs> uh, Julie interviewed hundreds of people about the teachers they remember. So when 
You're listening to our conversation. Think about the teacher you remember. Because I think that's, when you did that, it made me think. It was so good. Because that research became the Chalk and Chances Project with what those stories mean for teachers and the information, inspiration, the educators need. And she has a new book coming out. It's called Safe, Seen, and Stretched in the Classroom. Oh, Students safe, seen, and stretched in the classroom. Is that right? Yes, you were right. Safe, seen, and stretched in the classroom. Okay. I didn't have to put the students in there. <laughs> no, but but that's good you did because that's what it's all about is making them feel safe, seen, and stretched. Ah, oh, that is really cool. When is your book coming out? It's coming out in November, so ah, next month. Yes. yes. Oh, well, we're going to talk about it. I'm. It, it just, you hit on all the things when we were talking It meant so much because I think all of us need to feel safe and seen and valued and the idea of being stretched to reach our potential, all of that. And something happened along the way. And I think that this is what we're going to talk about. But I I first want you to kind of share a little bit about your background, uh, maybe an overview and where you grew up and how you became you. (laughs) I grew up in Central Florida. In a little town exactly between Orlando and Tampa, I was the granddaughter and am the daughter of teachers. And I have one older brother who's 11 months older who was always very academically gifted. So it was a surprise to everyone when I started school and I struggled to learn to read because I was a child who was read to all the time by my grandmother, my mother, my brother loved books but just had a really hard time getting those letters and sounds and putting them together and learning to read. So I remember um, being very anxious in school, Mm. not having a lot of confidence in the early grades. And then a teacher came into my life who really laid a foundation and, and changed their trajectory for me, how I saw myself as a learner, how I felt about school. And I don't know, Barbara, if you want me to go ahead and talk about Mrs. Russell now or if we should save her for a little bit later. Oh, no, you brought her up. Let's bring her up. I did bring her up. Yeah, it's okay. We can go out of order. We don't have to stay. You know, we're like I tell everyone, just pretend like I'm, you're on my porch uh, drinking either coffee, tea or wine, whatever you like. All, all the things. <laughs> and this is a conversation. And when you mentioned Mrs. Russell and, you, you know, I'm... We're in Zoom, so I can see her. It's like her eyes got bigger and there was a sparkle because it meant she meant so much to you. So go ahead. I'd love to start this off that way. Yes. And don't we all light up when we talk about our favorite teachers? It, it just sparks something. I, I don't know if it's joy or gratitude, but it's probably all of those emotions in one. But Mrs. Russell... Back in 1975, before we knew a lot about dyslexia and and before we had the research that we have now, used this multi-sensory approach with me and really made some, some progress with me in reading and also was so patient and positive that I started to see myself as a reader and as a learner. And because she was confident in me, I could be confident and believe in myself. And I learned to love reading and I learned to love 
everything about school. And I have these very vivid memories of her classroom of, you know, the easel with the fat pink brushes. And back then she would play Carol King singing chicken soup with rice on the record player. And I remember all of those parts wow. at first grade. And I just loved her and she made me love school. So because of Mrs. Russell, I became a teacher just like her, taught um, pre-K through third grade mostly, used so many of the things that I learned in Miss Russell's classroom. And I think we do as teachers model the teachers who made an impact on us. And we bring in not just the things they did, but their philosophy of teaching. And that was certainly true for me. And I wanted to make an impact on my students the way Mrs. Russell had on me. So I taught for 15 years and then was a school administrator and assistant principal and then a principal for 10 years. And in my first job as a principal, I was asked in September to leave my AP job and go lead a school down the street. And I would be their third principal in three years. So they had some challenges. And when I walked in to meet the faculty, right in the front was Mrs. Russell. Oh my, so wait a minute. Really? Yes. Oh. So I got to spend three years reconnecting with her and as her principal. And people would ask me, isn't that kind of strange or awkward to be evaluating your own teacher? It would have been if she hadn't been so amazing. And I would just sit in her classroom and want to say to her students, you're so lucky. You have no idea oh. how lucky you are. So when she retired in 2015, I also left public school and went to become a professor. And I had to have a research focus. And I decided what I really wanted to study was how do teachers like Mrs. Russell make this lasting impact on our lives? What do they do? What do they say? Um, and that's the journey I've been on for the last several years. Oh, that touches my heart. And what's so cool is you sent me a picture of you and Mrs. Russell. <laughs> what a how, I don't know any teachers that can do that. I mean, that have that experience where you can go back and actually be with them, but then to be the principal. <laughs> that yes. is amazing. It oh. was great. And I remember walking into her classroom one day and she was reading that Bird Baylor book, Everybody Needs a Rock. Do you know that book? I, yes, it I do. Been, yes. See, I love that book. Yeah. And it had been one of my favorites in first grade. So I got to sit on the carpet with her kids and listen to my first grade teacher read that book again. <laughs> so I feel so blessed. How many people get that opportunity to relive a favorite teacher's classroom and reconnect that way? So I've been very blessed by her so many times in my life and we're still connected and she still encourages me and inspires me. Oh, I'm so glad you started with that story. Now I'm sitting here. Did you, when you were sitting on that carpet, did you ever feel like you had to hold back your tears? Oh, yes, <laughs> definitely all the time. Um, and there were so many things she did that brought me right back to first grade. Wow. And I, was, I loved watching her students in her classroom because that's what she did was create a space where they all felt safe, seen, and stretched. Even the most challenging students just thrived in her classroom. Oh, I love this story. I'm so glad you're writing it in your book, right? 
Yes. <laughs> Everything I write, I think, starts with Mrs. Russell. Oh, oh, I hope she hears this. <laughs> oh, she she knows. <laughs> and, you know, my favorite thing to say when I'm out speaking to teachers or doing professional development is you are someone's Mrs. Russell. Like, oh. There are people who talk about you that way. Um, and we all have to know that we may not hear that from them. You know, Mm -hmm. people don't always take the time to reach out and let us know the impact we've made, but we have, and we have to never lose faith or never underestimate the impact we make on the lives of our students for, for decades after they leave us. Well, it's, it's so powerful because first grade is, is a really impactful time. I mean, it leaves an impression the rest of your life. It could be good or bad. And so you never know. If what's what children go through. It's true. And I think had I not had her, had I had someone who became frustrated with me because I was highly anxious and dyslexic. So certainly a challenge in that way. I would see myself differently as a reader and a learner, probably still. Mm-hmm. But because of the way she responded to me, I became confident and I saw myself as a learner and a reader. You know, you mentioned dyslexia. I don't think when you were younger, they really understood it, right? They didn't. Yeah. And my, you know, my mom being a teacher who taught third grade reading took me to every, I'm sure, every specialist, every eye doctor. Oh, really? <laughs> I was, oh, wow. I was a mystery to her too. Um, but thank goodness. And I know my mother who taught with Mrs. Russell feels the same way about her, the same sense of awe and gratitude because she was just as great a colleague as she was a teacher for her students. Isn't that amazing? So that's a wonderful story. In fact, you told me that your daughter is a third grade teacher. I mean, you're carrying it on through generations. This is just wonderful. Tell me about that. So my daughter started teaching third grade three years ago. Her first year ended in a pandemic. So she, like all of our new teachers, has never really had a year that you and I, Barbara, would call a normal year. No, yeah. Last year, she was hybrid. This year, kids are back, but um, there's always someone in quarantine or or some kind of shift in the policy. So it's been a stressful time for her, Um, but she loves her kids. She loves her school. She's in a a high-need school in an urban area of Tampa. Um, She worries quite a bit about them, especially during this time. But she, when I think about this mix of soft and strong that really great teachers have, you know, they're tough and resilient, but they're also soft and compassionate. She's always been the perfect mix of soft and strong. So I, I know she's doing a great job and her principal is someone I know. And one day when her principal was making positive phone calls home about students, she called me to make a positive phone call home about Caitlin. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I see. Well, that's right. She's one of the learners in her school that that is she still is. new at teaching, really. Still new at teaching. Yeah. So that was fun. And I think it made, it made Caitlin happy too. Yeah. And you spell her name different than I, when you told me her name and then you wrote it down for me. It's C-A-I-L-I-N? It is. It's an it's an Irish name. Hassan is Irish. Ah, okay. I get it now. <laughs> I thought, because I've seen, I heard Caitlin. 
but not yes. Kaylin that's spelled that way. So that's why. And she, I think she will always um, be, be confused with a Caitlin, but she rolls with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone mispronounces it, right? All the time. All the time. Because when you're, you're not used to a name and names matter. Names. They do. They really matter. And so do you go by the J- Julie Schmidt Hassan or Julie Hassan? Well, the people who've known me forever, you know, the people who've known us since we were kids probably still call us by our maiden names. So <laughs> I'm still Schmitty to a lot of people. Schmitty. But I typically <laughs> go by Julie Hassan. I use when I write my all three names because there is a Julie Hassan who makes fantastic vegan cookbooks. Oh, <laughs> she's been doing that for a long time. And I would not want anyone to take any cooking tips from me. <laughs> so I try to use my maiden name to differentiate the two of us. I know. I actually went looking for you and I found the the other Julie Hess and I went, oh, wow, she's sure to Really talented. <laughs> no idea. Not at all talented in the kitchen, but the other Julie Hassan is terrific. Isn't that funny? I'm Barbara Bray. There are a lot of Barbara Brays out there. Are you? Yeah. And there is one who passed away, but she's a famous author, translator. So if you look at Barbara Bray, up comes all these amazing books she translated. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that great? So people go, wow, Barbara, I had no idea you did all these things. <laughs> I said, no, I didn't. That's, that's my married name. But it is really funny how you know it's really easy to misinterpret somebody by their name or mispronounce their name. And children need to, to you know, they like it when you actually know how to say their name and you say their name often. It's true. And we talk about feeling seen. Part of feeling seen is feeling known. And I don't think someone could feel known if you mispronounce their name or never call them by their name. There's something about someone saying our name that helps us feel like we belong and we're known. Well, that sense of belonging is really important, but it's also... In one of my early, I've said this before on the podcast, but I'll say it again for you, is um, it was number 12, which was Tom Murray. And oh, I love Tom, Tom Murray, is, yes. He's just amazing. But he did something with me. He kept saying, Barbara, that, and then he'd say, whatever, and he'd go, Barbara, and then it would make me look up. And I thought, that's really clever. I should say the person's name more and more during the, especially if they're not looking up (laughs) (laughs) and I'm trying to get them to pause or something. So it's, um, so Julie, (laughs) see, it does, it it does does feel good. It makes you feel good. And that's a good tip to give teachers, because if we could make sure we pronounce their, our children's names, right. And build that confidence so they're comfortable about their names too. Yeah. It's just, and I've talked to some, and I say use this carefully, but when they have a special relationship with a teacher and that teacher gives them a special nickname, it's funny how, what that means to a kid. So I talked to a woman who took, she was on the high school newspaper and her journalism teacher was praising her for the stories that she brought in and he called her scoop and she just loved that. Uh, And I think we have to be careful about that, about calling people nicknames, but in that case, it was a compliment and it really meant a lot to that now, you know, probably 50 year old woman 
who remembers very clearly that nickname from her high school journalism teacher. Well, it's good to be a scoop if you're a journalist. It's good to be a scoop. <laughs> That's kind of nice that that was a good nickname. That was some a great pe- nickname. Some people don't get really great ones. No, it, it is, it, I think it's it's something to be very careful with. But if there's a complimentary nickname that bonds you with a kid and makes that kid light up, by all means, do what lights kids up. <laughs> well, so you started, you were a professor in Florida. Is that right? I started in Central Florida yeah. at Florida Southern College, which was my alma mater. Oh, you went. Oh, that's cool. Yes. It was it, it took another place where I felt back home again. You know, I went from Miss Russell to working with professors who had been my professors. So I get a lot of full circle moments in my life, which are always blessings. And I worked there for five years. And two years ago, my husband, who's also a professor, got an offer to come here to Appalachian State in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina. And there was an opening for me in school administration. So I came to, now we're both here. Wow. So you've been there since 2015? I started Florida Southern at 2015 and then in 2020. Oh, 2020. You just right moved in there. in the middle of the pandemic. Oh my God. We moved from our home in Florida to the mountains of North Carolina. Wow. That was a big move during that time. Oh. It was a big move. Wow. But it's fall here now. And so it's so worth it. The leaves are changing. Oh. The breeze is blowing. It's beautiful. You got to take some pictures. I grew up, I I grew up on the East Coast and I miss the falls. I'm in California. We don't have oh. those beautiful autumn Barbara, colors. I'll have to send you leaves, a little <laughs> box of leaves. <laughs> I might take that. I just love it. I, but I, I just remember because we used to go to Shenandoah Valley. Do you know? Oh, yes. yeah. And the, in the fall, we would go, and that's in Virginia, I think, right? Yeah. Yes. That's in Virginia. And um, I just remember the colors were just amazing. It's beautiful. They're just starting here, and we live on the side of a mountain. So we look up, and there's patches of red and oh. yellow, and one bright, bright orange tree. Um, and it, every morning I go out just to see the change. Beautiful. Okay, so you go out and get in front and have some have your husband take a picture of you with all those beautiful colors behind you. We'll put it up. <laughs> That'll be. I will. I, I remember. Was, I would have. I always put a picture some on. You know, at the top. Maybe that'll be a fun one. That will be fun. I will send that your way, Barbara. Oh, I think that would be beautiful. So then you decided to do this research project. Is that right? I did, did you do it? That's right. It was right it, right after you moved to Boone? I started that in Lakeland. So when I first became a professor, I had two jobs. I was, I'm, was tenure track there. I'm tenure track again. Um, but when I started there, one job, of course, was teaching my graduate students, which I loved um, and still do. The other job was to produce articles to do research as part of my tenure. So I had to pick a research focus, as new professors do. And that was my focus. I wanted to know what teachers like Miss Russell do to make a lasting impact on our lives. So I started out talking to my teacher friends, you know, asking, what's your impact? What do students remember from your class? They don't know. Unless a student comes back to you or sends you a card or reaches out, it's hard to know what our impact is. And I was in Florida at the time and they tried many different ways to measure teacher impact. 
Um, and I have concerns about that. I'm not sure that true long-term impact is, is quantitative and, and measurable that way. So I realized what I need to do is talk to former students. They're not hard to find. You and I are former students. They're everywhere. And I worked with Mick Lynch, who is the, the research advisor at my college, to figure out what is the design we could come up with to answer this question. And I ended up going to Office Depot and getting a sign that says, let's chat about the teachers you remember. <laughs> and I went to flea markets and farmers markets and craft fairs and public parks and university campuses with my sign. Oh, wow. Now I'm very introverted and still highly anxious. So I had to push past some of that, but I was so curious that that propelled me. And I spent three years doing that, just collecting stories from people, crying in the streets with strangers, <laughs> just a normal part of my life. But at this point, I have over 400 stories and they're all so different and they're all so beautiful. And I was so surprised at how specific and detailed people's memories of their favorite teachers are. Mm. And they were always these stories about these small moments of connection with a teacher. And it, it, it's so much more than I expected when I started this project. I, I mean, I almost wish I could have been a, like right, right behind you. Did you capture them on audio or video? Or? I, I did not. When we designed this study, we realized that people would be more forthcoming and maybe less guarded and choose their words less carefully if they weren't being recorded. And so I used a grounded theory approach, which traditionally is just field notes. And I'm a really fast, you know, wow. note cryptic note taker. So I can read my own notes. I'm not sure anyone else could. <laughs> so I would just maintain eye contact and note and note and note their stories. So people were would tell a story to me that I would wonder, have they ever told this story to anyone else? And often they hadn't even thought about it until I prompted them with the question. They hadn't thought about that specific moment again since leaving that classroom until the question prompted them. And then they could connect that thing with that teacher to things that have happened in their lives since. So one, one man talked about a teacher who gave him a gift of new school shirts when he was young and um, economically really struggling and not what he would say, not well-loved at home. This teacher loved him and gave him, gave him these new shirts. And he said, I realized that that made me feel worthy of love. And because I felt more worthy, I made better choices. Aww. I made better decisions for myself and others. And he became a firefighter. He adopted his own children. I mean, he connected that with that teacher, that act of love to decisions he'd made in his life. Um, oh, I'm, which I just have to tell you that just because, you know, teachers are struggling right now. And yes. I, but I know teachers that are still doing that, even though they're struggling, they're still doing way beyond Yes. It's, teachers are amazing. That to me. Teachers are amazing. I wonder if he ever contacted her. Or... You know, when, when I met him at a craft fair and received that story, he's in his 70s. That was a few years ago. Oh. He was fairly sure that 
that she's passed on, uh-huh. carrying her memory and still being influenced by the way she made him feel and the way she treated him. And it's just these small moments that people carry that live long after they leave our classrooms. But, you know, in his case, long after she lived, she lived on in in him. In his heart. In his heart. I just, what a great research project. I would, I know. So how long did you do this? I still receive stories. People send them through my website more often now because COVID interrupted my data collection, just like it interrupted everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm getting ready to go back. We have a great farmer's market here in Boone and I haven't been out to collect data there. So I'm looking forward to that, but I'm still doing it. It, you know, it's something that I realize I've missed during COVID, the Mm face-to-face storytelling and receiving Um, and, you know, part of my mission is to elevate and celebrate the teaching profession. And I feel like if I can get people to remember and talk about their teachers, they will be more inclined to support teachers now, um, to speak out when people are speaking against things that are happening in schools. Mm -hmm. I hope they, in their mind, remember those teachers who made an impact on them and pay it back by supporting the teachers in their community. I am writing down remember the impact of the teachers you remember, you know, remember the impact or what something like that is going to be the title. Cause yes. that's how you, this isn't what we were going to talk about. We were going to talk about it, but probably not as long as on this, but I am so glad we are because I feel right now with teachers, I just want to hug them. I just want to give them, you know, love and tell them, I see you struggling and it's almost like, what can we do for teachers right now? And that yeah. same thing, maybe the other is, another research study is to find out what's going on with teachers and how can we yes. get them more valued and respected because it's kind of a crazy time. It is crazy times. I had a long conversation with my good friend, Laura Estes Willie, who's a high school teacher and has been for 20 years about why teachers are leaving the profession what makes her think about leaving. Mm. She's an amazing teacher uh, and the kinds of things that she's dealing with right now. And for me, it was very eye-opening, the things that are really making her job difficult right now. Oh, no. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we know they're struggling, but they don't want to let people know either because they got to keep their job or they... Yeah, it's tough. And they're so used to being self-sacrificing and they're so used to powering through no matter what. But I want them to remember that if they're not healthy and well, and if they don't take care of themselves, they're not going to be able to keep doing that. No. And so you call this your Chalk and Chances project. How did you come up with that? I That's pretty cool. I, <laughs> I started collecting the stories. As you know, Barbara, because I have tenure track and I needed to publish some articles. So my intention was just to write a few articles. And when I looked at the stories and shared some of them with my teacher friends, it was Laura, the one we just talked about, who said, you need to put these on a blog so teachers can find them. Mm-hmm. And my now son-in-law, Jake, who's a marketing guru, talked with me about what do you name a blog? And so he asked me all of these questions and he said, 
well, what did Mrs. Russell and your teachers use to change your life? And I said, lots of chalk and lots of chances. And so, oh, it came it from became, her. It came from Mrs. It Russell. Did. Julie, you're so that is so cool to have him help you. Between Jake and Kaylin and my husband Brian, who's also a professor, and Laura, I had so much support. <sighs> in this project. And I think it was the kind of project that people enjoyed being part of. Well, I, I love the, I love that chalk and chances. And also your website is amazing because you have a lot of wonderful stories there, but also um, even the logo is cool. Ah, thank you. And that was my friend, Samantha. So, you know, everybody, everybody pitched in. It takes a village to keep me on track. Oh, I love it. Well, we're going to have to get a picture of you and I because right behind you, you have your. <laughs> I do. There's the logo. And my, my head's in the way. No, but we'll, yes. we'll work it. We'll get it. We'll grab a picture. <laughs> but the, the thing that's amazing is I think people have talked about this, remembering a teacher who made a difference, but I don't think anyone's done a research project like this. So, how long did this take you the, just be, to help write Ooh. the book? I think I'm about right about at the year four mark. So this was a long journey and I didn't want, I wanted to do it justice. I didn't want to quickly turn out a book. I wanted it to be the most useful book that it could possibly be. And I wanted it to be packed with two things. One inspiration, because like you just said, Barbara, teachers desperately need inspiration They need to get back in touch with why they teach and why their work is so important. But you can get that from chicken soup for the soul. So the other thing I wanted to make sure I did was carefully unpack the stories and pull out those actions and those strategies. So when John told the story about the shirts, we can connect that to specific things that teacher did. She noticed a need and responded to that need. um, And there's... John Gottman's work on bids for connections, she turned toward his bid for connections so we can pull in all of the research around those strategies. So the book, I know you said, I wish you could could have gone on the journey with me in the book you do. So I take the reader with me from meeting with Mick at the very beginning of the project to every chapter is a different place. So to the farmer's market, to the college campus, to the craft fair, the reader goes with me. And then the stories are shared. And then we unpack the stories to say, what is in this that you can replicate, that you can implement? And then what does the bigger body of research say about that? So I wanted to make sure it had all of those things and it took a long time. And I wanted to also make sure that we pulled in, you know, some of the stories are really centered in equity. And that's not my area of expertise. So I pulled in Lisa Delpit's work and Geneva Gay's work. And I wanted to make sure that I pulled in, especially those those women of color who are doing such beautiful research around that and amplify their voices too. So it felt like putting a puzzle together. There were all of these pieces of that book that had to make a whole. And I loved it, but it took me a really long time. But it's like, this is like the first edition. I mean, the first, <laughs> you, I have a feeling that if you, cause you look at how equity, diversity, and inclusion is so important now, especially when people don't feel a sense of belonging because they've been kind of pulled away from school and yes. stretched in different directions. So you started before the, the pandemic. 
I did. And then now, and, and then through the pandemic, I mean, I'm just, I'm sure you got different answers. You know, I mean, you might not have gotten different answers about the teacher, but what's next? Yes. And I, you know, I was worried about teacher attrition and worried about teacher wellness when I started this project. It was mm-hmm. one of the motivators. There's a shortage in my area of Florida when I started. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of the motivation certainly was to give teachers reasons to stay, to encourage young people to consider teaching. I'm more worried now than I was then. Mm-hmm because I think we're struggling more. Teachers are struggling more than they were then. So there's still a need and I'm, I'm still processing that and trying to figure out what I can do to help teachers more, what I can put into my writing and, and professional development that might be most helpful to them. But I think we're all still reeling a bit and trying to figure out what teachers need most. Yeah. And we have to, we all have to do what we can with what we have, especially in our communities to support our teachers in schools. Oh, Julie, I'm so honored to know you. I, you wrote something that was really good is like, what's next? You said you'd like your dream. Can you share oh, your do. dream? Yes, yeah. I do have a dream. And it came about the time that the blog started And suddenly I was getting invited to talk to groups outside of education, like the Rotary and the Key Club and even the tax collectors. Really? Oh my gosh. Because there was something about it. You know, they need speakers and there was something about it. They support their schools that they were interested in. And when I would go out and talk to those civic groups, someone would always ask me, can I make a donation? There was really not any reason to make a donation. And so the more I thought about that, and at the same time, my daughter was a brand new teacher trying to set up a classroom, Mm -hmm. which is really expensive. I thought those two things go together. If people could donate in honor or in memory of a favorite teacher, and those donations could go to new teachers starting up a classroom, what a beautiful way to honor the whole profession. And that is my dream, that foundation. I've just started figuring out how that could work um, and trying to get through pandemic times when it feels like the right time to launch that. But that ultimately, that would be a beautiful dream come true. I love that idea. And But how sad that teachers have to spend their own money I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it really. I know some it's teachers true. that make so little that they can't pay yeah. rent, but they still go out and spend two or three or four hundred dollars for the classroom. And I'm sitting here. Who? No other profession asks people to do that. No, it doesn't, yeah. and it's not right. And and I hope at least schools are being able to provide for classrooms the basic things. But if I could help those brand new teachers even start a classroom library or a special chair or you yeah. know, all the little things, especially in elementary, I think those little things that make us excited and kids excited, that would be a fun thing to be able to hand to a new teacher in honor of a teacher who came before. So no one's doing it that way. And that that's why I like it, Julie, is that you said that the foundation would be to remember or in memory of someone who impacted a teacher that impacted them. Because I think right now there's no one really doing that. 
is just what we needed now, chalk and chances. So your book, we're going to put that up. I mean, it's not on pre-order, is it? On pre-order. Oh, on Amazon. we're going to put that up on there. On pre-order now through Amazon and through Routledge, my publisher. And I believe Routledge has a discount on their site now. So check out the Routledge site. They usually do have some kind of discount through their site. Let's make sure we put that up on the post that goes with this okay. because I know a lot of teachers out there really wanted to do something like this. They never thought of it. So knowing that you did, it, it's like you can, we can connect them to you, Julie, and share, you know, they might even want to be in your next book or in, in the, help with the foundation or who knows, because what you're doing is um, something from your heart. I can tell it's, this is made so so thank you to Mrs. Russell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Mrs. Russell. Oh, that just a beautiful story. I've really enjoyed this. I'm glad you were on my porch today with me. <laughs> oh, thank you, Barbara. And I, I want to hear at some point, if not today, on your pretend porch sometime about your favorite teacher. Oh, well, I can tell you real quick is yes. it's not till... Um, community college. It was Mr. Davis. Yeah. Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis was my English teacher and he recognized I was a writer when many teachers never, didn't even acknowledge me in classrooms. I mean, there were some in elementary and and through, but nothing like what he did for me. And uh, yeah, he made a difference. I write it in my own book about him. It's, but it, it is, you remember you remember it. He saw your gifts and luckily for all of us, he did. <laughs> so that's it. So let's keep this going and we're going to put up a post and we're going to continue our story and share your book. And I am so excited that I got to have this conversation with you, Julie, today. This has just been wonderful. And I'm sure people are going to love it because you're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barbara. I appreciate it. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Julie Schmidt-Hassan. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast because it includes Julie's story along with links, pictures, and so much more. Please subscribe to my Rethinking Learning Podcast. It would be awesome if you wrote a review. You can also subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive updates, more amazing podcasts, and a link to resources and a new price for my book, Define Your Why. Thanks again for listening. Keep sharing your story and please stay safe and be well.